0: This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today, on episode one of season two.
1: And he said his Durham production on those fields where he seeded into the pea stubble the following year was so much better that he thought he could probably raise peas and dump them over the edge of the coulee and be ahead.
0: Dan Folsky joins the show to talk about the business decisions of planting pulses in a rotation. Dan is an extension agent in Burke County, North Dakota, which is in the northwest part of the state. He's been there in that position for over 30 years now, and a big part of what he does is work with farmers to establish budgets and utilize tools for business decisions. Dan's going to share what he's seeing on the economic side of planting pulses and some of those tools that he utilizes with the farmers he works with. I should mention here at the top of the show that we will be using some specific numbers in this episode, but those numbers are unique to the averages in Dan's county. They will almost certainly be different for you. And as Dan will mention, you should be sure to use the tool to input your own information for the most accurate results. I'll invite you into the conversation here where Dan is talking about the evolution of Pulse Acres in his county in northwest North Dakota.
1: When I first started up here, there really was no pulse crops uh, raised up here. We uh, were primarily wheat durum, a little bit of flax and sunflowers, uh, a little bit of barley and oats. And uh, then we saw the peas come in and uh, very, very good rotational crop for us up here, both the yellows and greens. We've got some lentils in the county, but the lentils have been more on the Western edge of the county, over into Divide and in Williams County a lot. Now in uh, recent years, we've seen uh, an increase in soybeans. Uh, soybeans have been kind of an interesting for us. I joke with the people that for the first 20 years I was up here, I had one soybean producer in the county every year and never the same producer two years in a row. But with uh, the soybean area spreading so much across the country, there has been so much more development of the short-season varieties. There is not the level of yield drag with those uh, shorter maturity varieties that there used to be. And, of course, we've had uh, increases in looking at some of the chickpeas and and some of that. Right here in Burke County, it's still primarily peas and lentils. Is that
0: what drove the adoption of pulses in the first place, or was it something else?
1: I think uh, the number one was probably fertilizer costs. Nitrogen fertilizer cost was the number one that kind of started the interest up here. That and uh, simply the poor economics of the small grains at times. As we have evolved further, just rotational benefits. I had a producer that came to a meeting here in Bobels one time. That we were talking about production of peas and budgets for peas and Durham. And he had raised peas a couple years before. They were brand new in the area. There was no local elevators accepting them for delivery. They assured him, oh, yes, you can deliver anytime you need. And once he harvested them, he found out that was not the case at that point. And he sat on them for a half a year before he was able to get them delivered and was thoroughly frustrated and disgusted said he was never going to raise them again because he was a producer that his marketing plan was basically whenever he needed money stick the elevator in a bin and haul some to town and that just simply didn't work especially at that time with any of the pulse crops The meeting he was at was a couple years after he had raised them and he said his Durham production, on those fields where he seeded into the pea stubble the following year was so much better that he thought he could probably raise peas and dump them over the edge of the coulee and be ahead. It was quite an eye-opener in terms of what adjusting your crop rotations can do in terms of disease management and soil health, fertility management and stuff.
0: That's a great story. (laughs) And so, with the disease management, how has that helped with the small grains?
1: We're fairly dry, so we generally don't have a lot of disease issues, but uh, it still comes up now and then. And the peas and any of the broadleaf crops help break up those rotations, especially for the stubble borne diseases. We have run into an issue now with uh, our peas and some of the uh, root rots where guys are having to stretch out their rotations for their peas for three or four years before coming back uh, to a pulse crop again.
0: Yeah. And and obviously, if you have to do that for disease management, it's one thing. But uh, also, there's the economics at play. And I know that's what uh, we're going to get into more here today. But maybe just to start off with, taking the disease uh, out of the rotation considerations for now, what are the economic considerations that farmers are are looking at when considering planting pulses?
1: Well, cash flow is is always the big issue for everyone and anyone that is in business, whether it's farming or some other business, knows that long-term profitability can be trumped by poor cash flow real quickly. With uh, budgets we're looking at, NDSU Extension published has several tools that are published every year that help producers look at budgets and comparison with one crop or another. Our farm management specialist, Ron Haugen, has recently updated and reduced uh, projected 2021 crop budgets. And those are split into uh, regions within North Dakota. The one I've got here in front of me that I'm looking at right now is for Northwest North Dakota. They're looking at best estimates, of course, for prices. But they use a lot of data from uh, the adult farm management programs across the state, uh, looking at averages, costs of machinery, cost of land, other surveys. And Uh, it's a good tool that you can use either in paper copy or excel spreadsheets and of course these budgets as projected using averages are projected averages they are not necessarily your numbers and the better records you have the better numbers that you can put in for your farm the better numbers you're going to get back out of it Uh, Just taking a a quick look at uh, this budget right now, looking at uh, some comparisons here. When I'm looking at uh, hard red spring wheat, for example, here in the Northwest, we're looking at uh, a return to labor and management this year at $4 an acre. That is your cost or your return above both Direct and indirect costs. In a minute here, we'll uh, look at a crop comparison tool, which takes a little more of a look at just those indirect costs. But yeah, $4 an acre is not a lot of return. Durham, it's a little better out there at $7.54. Canola, which is another very, very common crop here in the area, that's looking at about $69.72. They're about 70 dollars an acre return a lot better peas not so good this year uh looking at a negative 11 an acre with the projected price on peas lentils are 351 an acre and we're looking at probably one of the poorer lentil markets that we've seen in a long time chickpeas they're again uh, kind of a negative in there at 733 on on these budgets uh the pulses are not looking quite as good this year as as they have sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm. And can you recall kind of what the range has been in the past, or has it just been all over the board to even kind of encompass?
1: It's been kind of all over the board. You have to take into account if you start sticking your yields in here under your management practices, these can move quite a bit. But the lentils in particular, I have here a document that uh, is also published by our farm management called Plotting a Course. And it is short and long-term agricultural planning prices put together by Ron Haugen, our farm management specialist, Tim Petrie, our livestock economist, and Frayn Olson, our crop economist. And there have... uh, some historic averages on prices, as well as some projected prices for the next uh, five years. If I look just at lentils, 2015-2016 crop marketing year, the average price on lentils was $28.90, 100 weight. For 2021, they're expected of $18, 100 weight. That's a pretty substantial Difference, the peas. If we look back, a five-year average on peas at eleven dollars and thirty-four cents a hundred to a projected of seven ninety-six a hundred. So definitely, uh, our pulse prices on those particular ones are way down from what we've seen.
0: And could people from outside of the state use the same tool or is there going to be information here that's unique to places within North Dakota?
1: No, they can certainly use it outside the area. Just the caution that I would make is make sure that you go in and you plug in yields, fertilizer costs, machinery costs, land costs that are at least an average for your area. The better information you can put in the better information you're going to get out.
0: Yeah. Uh, I didn't hear if you said earlier, how are pulses comparing to soybeans if they're considering, you know, planting soybeans in a rotation instead of pulses?
1: I think the biggest reason that uh, guys are choosing soybeans are the biggest two reasons. One is herbicide selection. There are just so many more herbicides available. And of course, uh, the glyphosate uh, tolerant, uh, those types of things that just make herbicide and weed control so much easier with the soybeans the other thing that comes into play is that generally when you haul soybeans into the local elevator a soybean is a soybean there's not a lot of quality discounts we did see a little bit of discounts this year on some some green seed coats because of some frost early frost situations but to uh, If the elevator is telling them, uh, you know, seven bucks a bushel for soybeans, they can pretty much count on seven bucks a bushel for soybeans or six or whatever it may be. Whereas with peas and lentils, if you've gotten that little rain shower on them and discolored them, the discount sometimes can be extremely high. Is that that figured
0: into that tool, the, the quality, you know, sort of volatility?
1: The volatility doesn't really fit into these tools other than historical averages. But that is something that you really need to, as a producer, you need to be aware of that. Some of the things that as a producer you can do is uh, more aeration uh, bins, taking them off a little bit uh, uh, higher moisture, getting them into the bin and then drying them down to avoid those rain showers uh, when they are ripe and mature. And that goes across the board with almost all of our pulse crops uh, that that handles. Another thing is setting up uh, brush type uh, augers, conveyors, things like that to help cut down breakage, the mechanical damage of harvesting with your combines and equipment that uh Breaking up the seed coats and de all these pulse crops is a big issue for all the pulse crops.
0: That makes sense.
1: I think the, the low interest rates that we have right now are another great asset for current producers that helps make it not quite so uh, imperative to chase those markets. If you look at interest costs today on new machinery or land versus what interest costs were in 1980, it's tremendous. In 1980, 14 15 18% interest on operating capital. You didn't have a lot of choices sometimes in the, the crops that you raised. I think... Uh, In addition to the fertility issue, though, the herbicide-resistant weeds, which are becoming a bigger issue, they're also helping guys, push guys towards maintaining some of those crop rotations. It's one more need for a crop rotation as a tool for weed control than what uh, just herbicide is. And can you talk a little bit about the
0: economics of that, of of looking at, uh, you know, a crop for maybe rotation for pest and disease control? You know, how do you look at that economically, I guess, is my question.
1: Very good question, uh, because uh, that isn't uh, the easiest question to answer. But I would phrase it, uh, looking at soybeans, for example, in uh, this area right now, if We don't have a lot of uh, herbicide resistance, and we can go out there and make uh, a couple of uh, applications of glyphosate and takes care of all of our weed control in a glyphosate-resistant canola or beans. In uh, uh, Nebraska right now, with such a huge problem with herbicide-resistant Palmer amaranth, where we're looking at uh, soybean costs, herbicide costs up here. And let me just glance at uh, budget here. Uh, For instance, the crop budget guide has $26 an acre entered for herbicide control in soybeans for this year. Some producers in Nebraska dealing with herbicide-resistant Palmer amaranth are talking $140 to $150 an acre for weed control in a soybean. So pretty substantial difference. That's really a heads up. And I know one of the podcasts last fall with Joe Akeley, our extension weed management specialist, uh, uh, he talked about some of those issues and having to look at long-term multi-year plans for weed control instead of just uh, what have I got out there? So, What can I spray?
0: Boy, that, yeah, putting, assigning real dollars to that, you know, quadruple the cost. uh, That's eye-opening.
1: Yes, it is. And uh, as a preventive, we're in an area that it's been many years since we did a lot of uh, pre-plant or pre-emergent type herbicides. And uh, especially with the broadleaf uh, crops that we're trying to raise now. And some of the herbicide resistance that we are seeing uh, with glyphosate and some of our grass herbicides for small grains, we're seeing a much greater need to look at uh, those pre-emergent or pre-plant type herbicides. What
0: about, you know, obviously a big part of this is what's the price going to be? <laughs> and uh, that's the question everybody wants to know. Um, and of course, you, you know, you can use your historical data to create a baseline there. But uh, maybe just generally speaking, you know, what is the outlook for pulse prices? We're in this time where they're not great. Uh, in most cases. But, um, you know, as you look to the future, what dynamics do you see at place? I, I won't ask you to assign specific prices <laughs> to to where things are going, but, uh, you know, what's your outlook for where things are headed in general?
1: Well, that's a good question, and it, it's a tough question, and I I'll honestly admit I'm probably not the best person to be asking that. Those are the kinds of questions that I give uh, Frayne Olson, our crop marketing specialist, to call about But in general, we're seeing our small grains tend to be a little bit better right now. And the outlook for them is a little better than it has been for the last year or two. And pulses in general are down a little bit, uh, at least for this near future. When I mentioned the plotting a course uh, short and long-term price uh, document that our guys have put together for us, And when I look at that, particularly for the dry peas, it's not as rosy an outlook for the next several years as what uh, the past five years have been. Lentils, uh, they kind of jump up and down, at least for our area. What I have seen is the lentil market is a little bit more up and down than some of the other markets. So that maybe gives a producer a little bit more opportunity to do some contracting on a market high, or even a producer that maybe has a little bit more grain storage, uh, an opportunity to hang on to some of those products and carry them forward uh, a little bit, uh, hoping for a better price next year. Lentils seem to have a wider range in that price from year to year than what I see with the peas. Of course, uh, I've had producers I've talked to that don't really like to admit it, but I know that there are some producers that have Durham in the bin right now that they had in the bin when the Durham was hitting $20 a bushel a few years ago or several years ago now, which brings up one of the tough things about marketing is you really need to know what your costs are what that market price is that you need to have a profit and profitability on your farm. And then even though you might be going into an upswing in that market, be careful not to jump on that bandwagon of, boy, that price is going up and it's going to keep going up. Yes, I, uh, I understand the feeling that you have if you've pulled the plug on uh, 20 cent uh, lentils and watching that market move to 24 25 28 or wheat uh, spring wheat you've pulled the plug on some contracts at six and a half dollars and now all of a sudden that market's going to seven going to eight uh you're feeling really dumb but think of how you're going to feel if you still got that product in the bin that you could have pulled the plug at $8 and it's back down to four and a half.
0: Yep. That is uh, that is a trap a lot of us easily fall into. <laughs> we want to hit the high of the market all the time and it's hard to do.
1: We had uh, a crop marketing specialist for NDSU for many years, uh, whose name was George Flaskerud. And he talked about marketing plans a lot and the need for knowing your cost of production. But one of the things that he reiterated uh, on a regular basis is that year in, year out, particularly with small grains, most wheat, spring wheat is marketed at less than the average price of the year. And that, Almost every farmer that he worked with, if they had picked one day of the month, of every month, whether it be the 1st, the 5th, the 10th, the 23rd, and sold 1 12th of their market, either through forward contracting, uh, direct crop market, uh, delayed pricing, whatever, picked one day a month and sold 1 12th of their crop, they would probably be ahead of where they Currently, were in the long run.
0: Just having a plan will will help save you from yourself.
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, last
0: question here. You had mentioned plotting a course. Was there more you wanted to talk about
1: on plotting a course? I guess a couple of things I would mention. The data that they have on that for the various crops that are listed are actual marketing year averages for 2015 through 2020 the historic data. And then they also have uh, data looking out short-term for 2021 and looking at projected long-term, which are projected averages for 2022 through 2026. And of course, the longer term you look at, the greater the the variability is going to be. But don't try and use really short-term Projections for long-term investments. That's something that's really easy to do and uh, can get you in trouble. Just kind of quick look here. At, uh, those planting prices. We have prices on here for beef, hogs, sheep, as well as uh, crops. Crops that are listed are small grains: spring wheat, durum, oats, both feed and malting barley both oil and non-oil sunflowers, corn, soybeans, canola, flax, winter wheat, dry beans, dry peas, lentils, and alfalfa and other hay. And, uh, you know, make sure that you try and uh, adjust those to your own area. And if you are in an area that uh, you have uh, better or poor basis off of futures markets than they do in other areas make sure you take that into account
0: thank you very much to dan Folsky for being on the show as a quick tip dan says the most common issue new farmers have with using these tools is that they default to a read only format so if you're diving in make sure that you enable editing to start using them We'll provide the links in the show notes for all the tools discussed here, and you can find those at growingpulsecrops.com. This show is brought to you by the Pulse Crops Working Group with support from the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council, as well as the North Central IPM Center. We're releasing these episodes every other week throughout the growing season, and we want to make sure the information is relevant to you. Please tweet us with any feedback or suggestions by using the hashtag growingpulsecrops. We'll be back with another great episode in a
1: couple weeks.